www.thomasmoores.com podcast. Hello and welcome to representthequeermusicals.com podcast. My name is James Lovelock and today I am with David Cumming and Zoe Roberts. Um, I'm going to get them to introduce themselves very briefly, even though I've already just done that, but we'll see how it goes. So uh, David, do you want to say something about yourself, um, what you do, all that sort of thing? Uh, hello everybody, my name is David Cumming. I am one quarter of Spitlip, the musical theatre company uh, who are behind the uh, now, I guess we're calling it Smash Hit West End Musical <laughs> Operation Mincemeat, <laughs> uh, which is a weird thing to say. Um, and uh, we're also joined by my close friend and colleague and collaborator, Zoe Roberts. And wife. <laughs> <laughs> In spirit <laughs> and body. <laughs> no. uh, yes, Hi. <laughs> 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 that's it. That's, that's all we're it. getting. That's all Zoe gets. That's it. Bye, everyone. No. <laughs> the wife is always quiet. No. <laughs> yes, I'm another quarter of Spitlip, makers of said musical. Yeah. Excellent. So uh, what I was going to start with is um, just maybe talking a little bit about uh, things that have inspired you in terms of your theatre making, because Operation Mincemeat is quite different to most musicals. And I'd love to hear more about what it is that you kind of started you off on this trail, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, we've been so we've been making comedy theatre together for <laughs> over a decade now, um, which is important to remember when people say, "Oh, overnight success, young theatre makers." And God, we wish that was true. Um, it's nice we, to be called young, isn't it? But mm. it's not true. If only we looked it too. <laughs> um, so yeah, so so three of the makers within Spitlip, so Dave, myself, and um, Tash, who isn't here today. We've been writing with a kind of comedy theatre collective called Kill the Beast with another two guys for about 10 years. And we bonded over making weird, dark, physical theatre, sort of strange cinematic stories, um, taking to the fringe, going on national tours, that kind of thing. Um, and then got to the point where uh, <laughs> we just wanted more people to like them, really. Yeah. Mm. And also, like, you know, a company of five people requires five people's wages to try and live off. And we were like, well, this work is great. <laughs> it's never going to make that much money. Um, so we were like, well, what are we going to do? How are we going to do this? Um, and so we, that company kind of formed two separate companies within itself. Um, the boys went off to make Swamp Motel, who are a really cool, Im- interesting, immersive theatre company. Um, and we went off to make a musical and we added a fourth member to our group. So it's me, Tash, Zoe, and then we added Felix to make up Spitlip. Um, and then, you know, the rest is history as we made the show together as a four. Um, but in terms of, I guess, in terms of inspiration, uh, like early stuff would have been like League of Gentlemen, mm. kind of weird comedy horror stuff that kind of treads the line of, it's very funny, but it's also kind of dark and it's got this weird, weird kind of through line of, of sadness throughout it. Yes. Um, stuff like, it's like South Park. Yeah. Um, uh, Book of Mormon, yeah. those kind of things. Um, and then I guess like visually and the- theatrically, the early work of Les Enfants was quite important to us in, in 1927 with mm-hmm. like, uh, what was it, Animal, Animals and Children's t- Take to the, to the Streets. T- take to the Streets. Yeah. That was a kind of interplay between projection and, and mm. li- uh, live performance, um, which we did a lot in Kill the Beast. And then, um, who was it, Gecko, they're all their work. Oh, it's yes, kind of very yeah. physical, kind of mm-hmm. dance, kind of dance physical theatre company, like telling stories with your bodies. Um, and Ad Infinitum, they were great as well mm-hmm. in terms of like um, using a physical using a physical body to kind of zoom in and out of different places and, and people becoming objects and mm. just uh, kind of having the fun of uh, bodies becoming things or spinning around and becoming a different character and that kind of smash cut style of mm. um, of theatre making that isn't just like a pin to play where you're 
whereas one scene for 10 minutes, it's like, no, <laughs> it might, the scene might be 10 minutes long, but we've gone to 100 locations mm. within that scene. We, our attention spans are far too short <laughs> for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's great. I, and I think one of the things I really love is the multi-rolling. And I think particularly the the way that you are able to inhabit any character that you want to pretty much, and particularly across genders as mm. well. I wonder where well, that's something that started quite early on in your work, or yeah, we've we've absolutely always done that actually since our first um, show was Kill the Beast, and I guess it's it's it probably was born rather than out of kind of being like we're going to break boundaries with this, this is going to be crazy, yeah. no one's done it. Yeah. We just went, um, well, I, I mean, I guess like like the League of Gentlemen do in their work and stuff like that. When it comes to comedy, you're searching for the best person to play that character, mm. so it seems just crazy to restrict yourselves in terms of gender particularly when you're inhabiting these weird oversized bodies you're living in a cartoonish world so it would just be that we would be reading through scenes or scripts and we go you're doing a funny voice you be them great okay done locked <laughs> yeah. and loaded oh well if you're them actually the other person will do that and and yeah so it kind of grew from that it just became part of what we do we didn't really think about um what we were kind of baking into our style and so it was completely natural to us that we would bring that through into Operation Mincemeat when we were making mm. that musical. I guess um, also partly because it's a it's a historical story. It's based on a World War II spy story, um, which means that <laughs> because of the world and how it works, mm -hmm. it's largely a story inhabited by male characters and also has been told by mostly male voices to mm. date. And when we decided to tell the story, we we're like, oh God, this means another stage full of men. God, that's been done so many to death mm. to death it's yes. so boring um but we kind of went well but this is the story for us so we're going to work on bulking up the stories of the female characters within the narrative yeah. but also the other thing we can do is to cast it as we would any show and you know there's there's two women and one man within the the members of spitlip who are on stage so automatically we were like well we've got a nice imbalance here we're going to have mm. some kind of we're going to have more women on stage than we have men we bulked out the cast with another guy and another girl yeah so it means that actually this male character dominated story is actually told by a female dominated cast which is really interesting and really fun and kind of helps us equal the balance out in that mm. way um and then there's there's the wonderful things that switching those genders then allows us to do within the story. It's, it's so fun to to watch that sort of thing. I think, and I think the other thing that's that's really important from from I guess from my perspective, coming at it from an LGBTQ perspective, is just how uh, how rare it is for people to be able to play against gender type, whether it's playing a gender um, that's. Uh, and and kind of going against what people expect or whether it's playing a different gender to the gender that you that you usually inhabit. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting um, thing that happens with the show that actually I think is uh, far more common in the fringe theatre circuit, but kind of has become, <laughs> uh, we've kind of accidentally become radical as soon mm. as we've transferred over to the kind of commercial scene. Yeah. Um, because you just don't see that happen on the big stages, whereas it's quite normal for a fringe theatre company to basically be like, we can't pay anyone. <laughs> So um, we'll just have to do it ourselves and you mm. just play who you play. Um, and But yeah, in, in this show, the, the the kind of crux of the thing about the gender swapping of the parts is that it isn't played. Um, crucially, it isn't that isn't the joke. Yes. It's not it's not a Mrs. Doubtfire. Mm. It's it's something else in that um, the joke of the Monty character isn't that he is played by someone who doesn't identify as male. Mm. The joke is that 
he's an entitled buffoon and he represents everybody at the top of the the kind of british establishment yes there that's the joke that he has none of the jokes are wink wink i'm a woman Mm. um but what happens is when he swaggers on stage and walks around and gets to treat women like objects or, or 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 downgrade them and you know there's character gene who does a lot for the mission and then she you know she dares to question one thing about him yeah. and he shuts it down immediately and put, t- says, you have to go make the tea again. Mm. And in that scene, when, when that happens, when when Tash does it, you're, you're, you're seeing a woman take on and perform masculinity and all the power and ability that that uh, gives mm. you, that the freedom that that gives you as a person to treat people in different ways. Um, and you read it not as, oh, it's that man, it's Monty. You read it as, oh... That is a learned behavior and a learned performance that we allow certain men to do. Yes. Um, and there are other men in the room who don't do that, but mm. Tash is the one that does it and it marks it out as, oh, that's a learned behavior. Um, and it's just a really interesting kind of queer reading of the story. The story yeah. itself isn't inherently queer and there's, not, there's no openly queer characters in the show. Mm. There's nothing actually about anything which we'd class as modern day queer. Yeah. But the lens of over the top of the show, we've kind of put this queer lens in front. Mm. So it talks about queerness without actually speaking it on stage, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it, and it's so important, I think, because gender has become such a central thing to queerness. I mean, it always has been, but particularly over the last sort of 10 or 20 years mm-hmm. and the idea of non-binary identities and fluid identities and all of those sort of things. And I think that's one of the most exciting things about this show is that it does open itself. I think for actors and certainly actors that I work with or students that I work with who are non-binary who suddenly look and go oh I can play anything I can you know Mm. I can inhabit this character in a different way as well I absolutely love what you do switching between Bevan and Hazelden as well (laughs) I think that's such a because you I think most of the most of the roles you play in the show are male aren't they Zoe yes yes Mm. I mean like we said it's a it's a male dominated story so the majority of the world is filled out by male characters Mm. um (laughs) myself and David both play one one female one wonderful very important female (laughs) mine goes by the name of Italia Dave's is named Prezzo. Um, <laughs> you don't you don't get that's, that in the if yeah. you watch the musical. If yeah, you that's read the a script, secret. You will. Yeah. Um, uh, and yes, uh, so it, and it's maybe worth clarifying actually because in case people haven't seen the show, so there are five of us in the cast. There are three women, two men, and between us, uh, we each play a kind of central role. Um, and <laughs> I'm trying to figure out the best way to say it. So, uh, so we have Dave who is male, who plays a male character primarily. We have Claire, who is female, who plays a female character primarily. And then the other three are switched for our kind of primary performance. And we've baked Mm -hmm. that into the script at this point where we say Montague, as Dave was talking about before, now we've stated in the script for future productions, should not be played by a cis male. Yes. And Hester, one of the other key roles, key female roles, um, should not be played by a cis female. Mm. And obviously that opens it up to non-binary people, any other bodies, just to kind of throw and play around with gender there but Mm. it it, once we started doing the show we realized this is really importantly baked to the show now that it will it will lessen what we're doing and what we're saying on stage Mm. if we take it back a step by kind of playing it more naturalistically also with it being a musical it is very much written into the music because it's unlikely (laughs) that um it's unlikely that a cis male will be able to sing half the notes that Natasha actually ends up having to sing yes. just to fill out the harmonies. So mm. actually, <laughs> as a show, you're kind of you're, it's kind of locked in that mm. sense. We'd have to rewrite it if you wanted to play it 
uh, as the genders on the page. Yeah. But also, as we say, that would just be, for our for our view, a boring version of the show. Uh, yeah. uh, uh, it would still be a good show, I yeah. think, but it would just not be as, as interesting. Wouldn't be yes. saying as much. And and kind of, and off the back of that, a lesser version of that is what you actually asked the question. So <laughs> my, my primary character is, is Bevan, who is this kind of authoritarian figure in the show he's he's sort of adjacent to the main gang who are kind of delivering the mission and having a lot of the fun mm. and he's kind of there not as a um not really as a kind of as, as someone you're not supposed to like or not relate to but he's kind of a voice of reason amongst insanity yes. let's say <laughs> um uh but of, but he's more of a straight character in comedically mm. um <laughs> be quite clear for this yeah, yeah. um straight in all in all the ways possible mm. um and that would be quite boring to just play him for an entire show. Yes. And I think if we had a cast of 30, that mm. would be the role I would probably just be playing. And it would be like, okay, well, time to go on and shout at some people, That'd I suppose. Or, you know, tell people mm. about the war, I guess. <laughs> um, but what we then do is, uh, in Act 2, I get another character, um, sort of principal character, really, that I flip between. And he's called Hazelden. And he's the kind of idiotic buffoon who is over in Spain. <laughs> where where we send the corpse that is kind of the key to delivering Operation Mince Meat. Um, and he is, I mean, he was a real guy that was over there in the mission. Mm. He was, you know, he retired to Spain before the war to sort of play golf and hang out and drink sangria and have a lovely time. And then obviously war hit and like so many people, he got kind of pulled in and drafted yeah. and, and, you know, got into doing his part. And then he, you know, gets embroiled in this like top level spy <laughs> deception operation. And mm. we just love that idea of a guy who just, really just wanted to live out his days <laughs> on the golf course suddenly finding himself in this mm. utter like pressure cooker system so he's more of a clown character so i yeah and i get to switch between the two of them and again all the stuff that we've been doing with kill the beast over 10 years mm. just just makes that super easy it makes you go actually it's just you can inhabit a different body at a drop of a hat or putting on of a hat key yeah mm. um, very key. yes but yeah and it and it, as a performer it just brings it so much more joy mm. and the audience also i think love it on that level because they enjoy me popping out seconds after storming out of a room having you know yelled at somebody mm. popping out being an absolute moron mm. there's a joy to that as well that you wouldn't get in a kind of more traditional casting yes yeah yeah it's i i think it's great that that, that it also you get to play some of these opposites because you have the same thing uh, David, don't you with them with with the particularly with the doctor that you yeah. play in the second half, and also with the the wonderful cameo which you which you both have in um, all the all, all the, the ladies, all the ladies, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, the the fun that we I mean, we are just having a whale of a time on stage. That's, <laughs> like, we, there's no two ways about it. It's it's hard and it's tough and it's exhausting, but ultimately we are just having a lot of fun. Um, I think for we've always come from a background in theatre that like it's. It's already make believe. Mm. So why can you not just go to that further step of just get just just get the audience to believe that you are a new person? That yeah. that's not an extra step, really. In our in our heads, some people are like, well, no, because you. Some people are obsessed with like, well, someone looks a, a certain way, and therefore I can't unsee that mm. body. And you're just like, well, that's just bullshit. I'm sorry, but like, <laughs> that's quite not right. say. Um, but it's just not true. Like you can just you know, kids will just decide I'm a doctor then all of a sudden be like right I'm a baker now you're like okay cool that's how play works yes um and yeah the joy of just being able to shift it's a skill but it is a joy of being able to shift and come mm. out as a completely different character I mean not getting too like technical about it but we do we do like have we have done work on like changing our centers and like how we actually like sort of imaginary bodies imaginary bodies it was my, was mm. it my, it's Michael Chekhov's stuff of like um imaginary bodies and where your center is and we take it to a kind of cartoony extreme of like <laughs> Um, 
I mean, it, this isn't Mince Me, this is um, Kill the Beast work, but like, mm. uh, as in one of the characters from the off show, Boy Kit Pigs, was Robert Caligari, and he was the kind of main psychotic child who you followed throughout this yeah. story. And his, his centre was like two burning um, Bunsen burners on his shoulders. That okay. As things got worse, he just got more and more like fire coming out of his. To be clear, that's yes. an imagined centre. Imagined centre. <laughs> literally have strapped well. Bunsen burners to David on stage. Um, um, but like, and using those kind of quick images to be mm. like, right, just imagine you've like that, and it gets you into the body immediately. I think it's because the pace that we like to work at, because again, our attention spans mm. are tiny. We're incredibly impatient people. So yeah. again, one of the characteristics of our work is that kind of rapid fire Frenetic. thing. <laughs> Frenetic is a great word. Cinematic, that kind of thing. And. As, as good as all of the kind of like, well, I need to think about my intention. I need to think about my backstory. Mm. I need to, who is this person? Where have they come from? That's all fine if you've got 10 minutes to prepare before you go on yeah. as a yeah. character. We've sometimes got five seconds. Yes. So if that, if that, mm. you like know, genuinely. or on stage, sometimes yeah, we are literally spinning, and putting a hat on and becoming a new person. Mm. So you don't really have time to kind of pro- process all of that stuff. Whereas actually having a kind of imagined physical center that you can just suddenly go... I think one, you know, one of my characters in the past has been a little old lady and I imagine that she's holding a little nest of bird e- bird's eggs mm. that she doesn't want to break. And so immediately your body can sort of snap into that and then everything else comes with yeah. it because yeah. you've done that practice, you've done the thinking about it and you've done that prep. Whereas, you know, if I spun and put a hat on and then went, well, hang on, okay, so I'm 87. <laughs> you know, obviously it can mm. be done, but but it, and it also just makes it more of a fun game. It makes yes. it us inhabit yeah. this slightly larger in life, larger than life world that, that we like to build mm. for people. My, my background is in um, improvised comedy and improvisation. Mm. So I yeah. recognise a lot of what you're talking about here and the fun that happens when, you, when you're able to just go into something and be in the moment. Um, and I think it's a it's a really different and, and lovely skill as well. If you're interested in LGBTQ plus representation in musical theatre, check out our website www.queermusicals.com for lots more information about musicals with LGBTQ plus characters. Um, I was going to ask where the voice fits into that as mm. well because uh, I'm very aware that you're the voice particularly because it's a musical is such an important part of kind of getting between these characters and having to blend these characters together when you're singing because unusually for a musical so many of the songs are ensembles in yes mm, the vast yeah. in fact most of the songs yeah yeah, yeah there's only there's what, one two solo there's two solos two solos oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> forgot about yours Dave <laughs> how dare it's you. a wonderful song I listen to it every night <laughs> it's your toilet time I imagine yeah. oh, it's my water time Dave <laughs> um yeah i mean it's really interesting um the um like from a writing perspective it 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 was really interesting going through and when we were like finally setting the harmonies for the west end version Mm. because you know everything was always in flux up until that point and then we had the terrifying like death knell of like by by may the 10th of 2023 (laughs) this you have to have stopped it's finished you must finish it you must finish it we'd never had that feeling before um (laughs) People so we were very cross. We hadn't finished it. And yeah, no. <laughs> um, uh, and interesting conversations, like being like, "Oh, this like this feels too high for this to feel like we've passed. <laughs> like this note now passes into we've broken the edge of how high Monty's voice can go or, or Bevan's yeah. voice mm. can go. And now you're like, now it feels girly, <laughs> mm. and you're like, okay, we have to change that. So like, as writers, you have to be aware of it. And then as performers, we're changing accents, we're shifting yes. the placement because we we do 
we our, our voices are very different as all our characters mm. and then you have to sing as that character and it is I imagine terrible for our voices ultimately like <laughs> it's a proper proper workout mm. um, I think yeah and it, part of the I guess I guess training actually to get to this stage where you know we're in a long running show we've been going for almost six months now mm. and you know we've Oof. got a fair few months ahead of us <laughs> and actually again we come from that comedy background of not having to really sing we had we had occasional songs in our work but mostly it was it was just scenes and you can kind of be a lot more elastic with your voice mm. in that kind of dialogue mm. because you don't have to switch between your sort of your singing voice and your speaking voice are doing two slightly different things mm-hmm. and that transition of being able to maintain like character dialogue as a character you know Hazlon has got a really strong west country accent yes. and it's sort of in the back of my throat when it's up and down because he's very stressed and he's I all over here and then you go oh i mean he doesn't have to sing a lot but you mm. go okay well when i do have to sing i can't sing in that voice because i will absolutely collapse my larynx and do awful <laughs> things so you have to kind of pull mm. it back a little bit and find somewhere in your normal singing voice where you can you know put a little bit of the bells mm. and whistles on but you can also sustain it over a long period of time so it's all of that has been learning as well yeah and also learning to um i uh particularly chumley's voice who's the kind of my my main character mm. the the brains behind the mission he um he's a very eccentric bizarre weirdo basically <laughs> a lovable weirdo um and you know i used to do a lot of kind of um his voice would go up and down quite a lot and a, mm. a kind of quite cartoony and quite clownish um and basically, in a long run, that's impossible to do mm. that and also sing all these top notes that I have to sing. And annoyingly, at the end of the show is when I have to <laughs> sing all the <laughs> highest notes I have to sing. Um, and so you, you have to calibrate to and, and be like, okay, well, I'll, I'll sacrifice some weird endings of words like that um, in order to be able to hit the notes mm. when I need to. But it kind of evens out into this kind of a, a more a more smooth kind of characterization, I think, mm. of, and and and. As Zoe said, being able to blend those voices, the, the, your speaking voice into your singing voice as a character really does help because it feels that, uh, and people say that this, the songs feel so characterful and like how, like you can really hear actually on the on the record that we did, the mm. rec- recorded version of the musical. Like I'm always surprised. I'm like, oh God, that's the same person, but they sound completely different. Um, <laughs> it's really impressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And I think it's it's interesting when you factor in, because obviously there's there's, we're doing some performing of gender in there with the people who are gender swapped. Mm. And, Again, it was something I think earlier on that it was it was easy to sort of try and perform too much the gender. Mm. And I remember with Bevan, my main character, I mean, I'm, my voice sits fairly low anyway. This is my kind of natural speaking voice. Mm. Um, but I was sort of pushing him down a little bit further, you know, to sort of get that authority and be like, well, I'm, you know, I'm this authoritative mm. man, so he probably should sit down there. And, and actually... I had problems with my voice and one of the things that my um, uh, an amazing vocal coach that I worked with, um, she flagged and she was like, well, you're holding an almost monotone when you're speaking. Mm. And and even when you're delivering, I, I, that character does a lot of raps as well, which a are absolutely yes. destructive on your voice, turns out. <laughs> um, but she was saying that you're, you know, you're, your muscle is kind of tense because you're holding this mm. almost one note feel to it. And actually, you need to loosen up, and and that person, wherever their voice sits, needs to be able to go higher and lower. And actually, that will be better mm. for your voice, and it's more dynamic to listen to. Yeah. But again, it 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 feeds back into that loop of going. Actually, we're we're asking the audience to believe that I'm this authoritative man. It mm. shouldn't be only because I'm speaking down. Hello, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I'm, you know, it's not that. But that also fa- that also falls into like our own as performers and people's gendered yeah. expectations yes. of that is what a, yeah. that is what an authoritative man is and actually a voice coach being like no like authoritative men just talk 
<laughs> they don't they're not all low voice because no. they're men they don't need to have a different voice mm. whereas um, it's quite common for women to end up having push their voices higher to sound more because they have to perform their femininity mm. um and it's a very interesting when you have those conversations being like oh wait like we all just assumed that because he was authoritative he'd have to be done blah, 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 blah. and you're like no that's completely not true mm. that's just another way in which gender has fallen into your head like it's been socialized into thinking yeah absolutely yeah. Mm. And it's fascinating as well thinking about again thinking about trans and non-binary actors right mm. and and particularly people whose voices transition mm-hmm. and how they have to refine the voice and yeah and the pressures that are on them as well you know in terms of when when somebody transitions to a different gender the pressures to try and sound as much like that gender as possible when actually that that thing that they're looking for though they may be looking for doesn't really exist yeah indeed yeah. and so again it's really lovely to have a piece of work that you know in its hopefully in its longer life will be so accessible to uh, to people, to people who are trans, people who are non-binary, and also to people who want to play around with gender more as well. Yeah, completely. Yeah, I mean, that's what we what we're just hoping across the board that we're offering as well for you know in this imagined future. Like, hopefully, the you know the show is goes on and on and is mm. uh, is available, and we get to stop doing it and sit no, down and have a pint for Christ's sake um, in the Bahamas. In the Bahamas, <laughs> our pint in the Bahamas. We're really excited <laughs> about. Um, but in terms of the roles that we're creating, hopefully for future performers as well, and there's all sorts of stuff like that it's it's you know it's being uh people being able to sing you know female parts in inverted commas that that are that are high and falsetto or mm. that are you know uh like a lovely ballad that opens up and has emotion behind it that is a male part but that that sits quite low in a sort of alto range yeah. or you know that has a big strong belt to it just kind of broadening that it feels a bit like we've fallen into a place where particularly within musicals i'd say more than mm. plays there are very specific boxes and roles that certain people yeah. are supposed to fall into i'd say yeah. particularly for women mm-hmm. yeah. there isn't that kind of breadth of of different characters it's kind of almost like you play the you know the young ingenue or you play mm. the haggard mother and there's barely anyone in between and and bloody right yes too right <laughs> i'm really excited for my haggard mother phase any day now i'm, I'm excited for call. it <laughs> hey! I'm a haggard father in this one day. Um, but you know, and uh, that's what we hope, and particularly for for myself and Tash, where we, you know, we've created these roles that allow you to take center stage in a musical and a really fun musical mm. as well, which is essential, and take up that space and inhabit those kind of, again, male in inverted commas that perform those kind of male characteristics get to be authoritative get to be charismatic get to host a show to own that stage Mm. own the stage that's really great and i hope will be exciting for a load of of performers out there and also inspiring for other writers Mm. to go we need to think outside the box we need to stop writing following certain formats that we've been taught to write absolutely and also i guess um uh that you kind of spoke to it before with with uh the part of Hester and the dear, the song Dear Bill, which everyone mm. kind of latches onto because it's the main emotional yeah. part of the show. Um, as as Zoe said, like it's so rare to see a male presenting body or someone mm. who isn't cis female um, on stage and singing a song about lost love and um, sadness without then, as would as would normally happen in a male track, moving to like anger or um revenge or violence because mm. that's how men sort things out that's what we're taught and this, it just sits with it and it's just left in your heart as like this moment of it's a long song mm. it's six minutes long and um and i think it's really affecting and actually what's interesting is hearing 
men who watch the show be like, I've never cried at a piece of theatre before and that mm. absolutely ruined me. And it's like, because I don't think you've ever been told you're allowed to be, yeah. be allowed vulnerable. To, you're allowed to sit mm. in that, you're allowed to sit in that emotion for as long as you want. Yeah. Um, you're just like, you don't have to brush it away. Um, so that feels really important. And then, and and that kind of spe- also speaks to that visually, none of us look like these characters should look. Mm. Um, even those of us who are playing, like I'm playing, I'm a, I'm a cis man and I'm playing a cis man. Yeah. I don't look at all like a man from the 1940s. I have a undercut and I have my hair in a top knot and I have a little mm. quiff. And like initially that was just because <laughs> we're poor and we uh, were making fringe <laughs> theatre and that's the my natural. The wig budget yeah, was really was, low. <laughs> it was mm. nothing. Um, and that was just what my hair was. But actually since then we've made a con- concerted effort to be like everyone has a kind of, everyone can have their own hair, their own yeah. colour hair, whatever they want. And you kind of have a weird 1940s-esque style mm. on your head, but you can be however you want to be. And our covers, who are wonderful and amazing and play multiple tracks and cover different parts, they don't have to copy our hairstyles. Like every actor mm. can come into this and be like, you are, you will just look how you look, yeah, and you will get to play on stage look, looking however you are and get to play whatever part. And it really feels like, again, that we've accidentally <laughs> done something quite radical in that you are seeing bodies on stage that would be would be like, well, they don't look like a 1940s, but they don't look right. You're like, well, what are we saying there? Like, mm-hmm. we're not in the 1940s. I also, that hugely excludes people of, of um, like, the um, trans people, non-binary people, people of any colour that isn't white. Yeah. Like, yeah. You're like, what are we doing here, guys? Mm-hmm. Like, this is make-believe. Like, let's just cast good people in roles and we will believe what they tell us they are. And yeah. it's, all, it's all kind of inviting the audience into the game, isn't it? It's yeah. like... The you know the, cur- the the first image of the show is the curtain going up and you see Tash as Monty on stage, you know feet smiling upon at the a audience, desk. feet up on a desk, chill out, smiling at the audience, and it, you know in a man's suit, and immediately the audience go, oh okay cool, cool. this is what's happening mm-hmm. yeah. okay it's it's almost like our first joke with the audience yeah. is going nothing is going to be quite what it seems yeah. but you're going to buy it and yeah. and within you know, 10 seconds, everyone's forgotten about the fact yeah. that, you know, they're watching some gender switching mm. happening. Yeah, but, but and it would be, I feel like it would be a bit of a disservice to a cast member to go, well, I don't know, you're a bit short yeah. to, to <laughs> play this Navy captain or something mm. like that. You think, well, in this world, who cares? Yeah, yeah. who cares? And it's interesting, one of our one of our covers is an absolutely incredible performer, a guy called Christian, mm. and he is, I would say, what, 6'3", 6'4"? Yeah, yeah, at least. Um, and the guy's covering for Jack... I don't know, five, five, nine, ten, five, nine. Mm. What a height! I don't know. I'm small. <laughs> Everything looks tall from down here. Um, and again, there was, you know, early on, you because because his body sort of presents drastically differently mm. at first to the person, you know, the role he's auditioning for. And everyone, you know, you kind of have a conversation going, "Oh, is this going to be weird? Can he play this female part of Hester? Is that crazy? He's so tall. Will you believe it?" And of course he can. Yeah. You know, it would be crazy to go, well, anyone under six foot will believe that they're a woman. Yeah, but yeah. actually, six foot and a half. It's like some women are that big. It's, yeah. like, it's just like. <laughs> and, it, uh, you know, and again, it, it's all part of that joy of the the audience buying into the world that we're presenting mm. to them with theatricality. It's the reason that the show we've written wouldn't work as a film unless the Muppets audition. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if you're you listening, know, Jim Henson. Yeah. Give us a call. But, you know, it wouldn't mm. work. Because it's not naturalistic, but therefore mm. we might as well lean into all of the wonderful tricks that that allows us to play. And the more restrictive you are, the less fun you're going to mm. have with it. Absolutely. I'm really glad you're talking about the swings and covers because I was going to ask about that process of um, 
auditioning for the roles mm. that you'd kind of been inhabiting for and had ri- have written many, for many ourselves and yeah. written yeah. for our other cast members really the roles yeah. even the roles not written for us um claire and jack have been with us since well jack's been with us since 2019 at the new diorama mm. claire's been with us since um the end of 2019 beginning 2020 so they've been with the show for going on six years now and mm. the roles have massively developed around them and around their performances so yeah. we've created so those five roles are really yeah, they, they, are, they, they originated. Yeah, they for those performances. Yeah. Um, and I guess that was that was an anxiety for us as as writers going into this, thinking about the long term, thinking about the future. Was you know, have we written something that doesn't work unless it's mm. these five yeah. people? Because our performance style is quite unique. You know, our our writing style is quite unique. Um, so going into casting covers for these roles, it was quite scary because we mm. were you know going well. What if these people aren't out yeah. there? What if people and turns out they absolutely are yeah. <laughs> and I mean, we found four heroes yeah, who are incredible. yeah i mean they're unbelievable um i mean it, it happened to me slightly earlier than it happened to the rest of um Spitlip because i <laughs> uh when we were doing the riverside run so the one the year prior to um the west end run mm. uh i broke my collarbone seven days before we opened oh, cycling lovely. to rehearsals mm. um, it was great it was wonderful it was a really great break <laughs> actually great they did say it was a very five-star break that they said at the, um, <laughs> at the hospital i was like well it's all i ever get um but uh it did mean that i had to audition to replace myself mm. only 24 hours after coming out of surgery i was back in the rehearsal room <laughs> um high on hospital grade medicine mm. trying to be like can you play this part that and and unfortunately because they were busy doing the rest of the show yes. and in panic stations it was like well david you've got to do this also you're the only one that's ever played this part you're the only mm. one that actually knows it um and that was very difficult to do we found sean and he's amazing mm. um and then putting him in the show but actually as an actor it was very hard to be like give up that kind of to, to get hand over that space and be like yes. sure like this is not mine anymore this is yours now but as a writer finally watching the show and being like one, the show is great. Like, mm. it's really nice to see it and be like, this is actually <laughs> yeah. a really good show. And two, to be like, ah, oh, like, like something in me just like relaxed. I was like, oh, wait, like, the, sh- the, the joke, the, the part is fun. Like, I'm funny in the part, mm. but the part is actually doing most of the work. I'm just like kicking it f- a bit yes. further. And that actually, that's what we found with all these actors. And in fact, this week, this very week that we're recording in, um, we're in a situation where we're on a second cover situation. Mm. So someone's doing. Someone's doing one of our covers is doing a part that they don't normally ever do unless in a complete emergency. Yeah, and their first show on Monday, they were adding new stuff and finding new jokes in that track that we mm. have never even thought of, yeah. and we've been doing this show and those scenes for five. It's embarrassing, years. really. And I, and I did something that made nearly all of us on stage mm. burst out laughing. We're like, that is so funny. How have we never thought of that? And so it's really nice to, mm. as writers, to have that kind of. Um, the show like slowly expanding and it just mm. made me I was I was actually thinking last night I was like god all the if this show can't continues and more people do it like all the different versions of mm. of jokes that could ever ha- happen in in this script it, it was really a joyful a thing mm. to think about um so as writers it's very um as actors it's very humbling because you're like well it's not us it's it, it's <laughs> n- I'm not actually that funny mm. but then as writers it's you get the, the the joy of it being like actually the script's really funny and we wrote that too so, mm. um but yeah it's a really interesting process but honestly get these people on because we just want to have a nice big sit down and a nice cup of tea. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's so amazing that that um, as well, that even though we said earlier on, you're getting to the stage now where you think the show is finished, like the finished draft in May, but actually it would never be finished in terms of because of the way that it's written and because of how 
the actors can bring different things and a different yeah. combination of actors mm. will do something different and a different audience will do something and a different it's one of the things we love about theater I suppose. yeah indeed and like it was yeah it was, it was i was thinking about that and how there's all these different versions that will happen and then also like if different productions happen like it could mm. be h- how they do the, there's end of act one number where we jump cut between the 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 two kind of main guys from the mm. the mission going out on a pub crawl to various different 1943 um, venues in London yeah. and the, a submarine under the sea being attacked and um, when we like smash cut between them and mm. it's like just thinking like how would different productions even envisage that mm. um it's a really exciting prospect because it's the first time any work of ours has kind of reached a level that it is feasible that other people might actually mm. do it um it's just been us and our own interpretations of our own work for mm. yeah. nearly 13 years, I guess. Mm. Um, so that's a really exciting and I guess terrifying thing because you might watch <laughs> and be like, well, you've ruined. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, also what's really nice is how our um, our fan base has responded to the covers and the kind of widening mm. of the cast has been really gorgeous. Um, that they are, they're, they're desperate to see them. If anything, they mm. come up and go, when are you when are you off yeah when are you not on you know can mm. you, you do you feel a bit peaky do you want to go off yeah. for a week so we can see your cover which is but actually it's wonderful they've one of the fans mm. has even created a bingo card I've a digital this. bingo yes. card yeah. which is online mm. it's on twitter and they've shared it internally within their kind of um their their fan base and there's a different bingo square for every combination of the cast mm. in all of the different roles and it's a and it, you know if you if you get a row across the card you win bingo and uh, yeah it's it's amazing so we get people you know stamping off their cards and being like oh my god I've never seen this combination mm. for or or I really want to see this person as as Jean but actually but with the rest of the company with the main roles it, it's just yes it's getting mm. really exciting and like Dave's saying there's it means that there's I don't even know how many versions of this show even exist on the... Yeah, it's a multiverse. (laughs) Yes, it is. Um, And it's really lovely to kind of have audience members celebrating that and Mm. reveling in it rather than... Sometimes there's a kind of weird snobbery about seeing a cover go on. You know, and it's not about that. It's, you know, you get to see a more, you know, I don't know, a better version which is different version, different like, version. Like, 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 like that, and that's fun and fine, yeah, and, it, and it might absolutely. be because we play so many different characters mm. that actually you, you perhaps don't get at so wedded to like one person's one character, mm. if that makes sense. But I also just think it's classic theatre snobbery, and it's part of a, mm. a whole culture of being like the stars are treated like stars, and everyone else is is lesser. And you're mm. just like, well, no, they're they're also just actors who are very good at their jobs. So like, yes. when they go on if stage, anything, they can, they're doing a much harder job. Th- th- I mean, it is not even if anything. Like, yeah. definitely, it is harder. <laughs> the How show do they is know incredibly it? complicated, mm. and I think, and again, people, I think, maybe not in the industry, don't quite know what what is involved. But and, and even we probably didn't really comprehend what is involved. But mm. they're learning multiple tracks. The girls, there's there's two girls covering three roles, so mm. they're each learning three roles, and we're not just talking like knowing the lines you're talking exactly where to stand on the stage for all of the dance routines and physical sequences work you're talking you learn the backstage mm. track which involves where you need to stand for all of the costume changes what pockets you need to put props in so that you can get them in time and pass them to the right person all of the different harmonies you're, you're singing different <laughs> harmonies for different lines yeah. depending on what character you're singing you're learning raps you're learning they're just it's so multifaceted what they're holding in their heads at any time and to know that they might be given 10 minutes notice and be told, oh, by the way, you're on this character. Come on quickly. 
shove your hair up, we're going on, it's yeah. happening. And it's mm-hmm. it's they're, they're, they're more like swings, I guess, in in, yes. a, in, a, in a classic mm-hmm. term. Um, and swings are obviously like the lifeblood of the West End um, and utterly amazing. But what makes it extra difficult in this show is that there is only five people. You are only one of five. Mm. There is no hiding. There is no big ensemble in which you can kind of like um, get get lost in. Yeah. Uh, There's also very little off-stage time for anyone to check some notes and go, what the fuck is going on next? (laughs) What am I doing? Oh, my God, which bit is it? Mm. A lot of the roles barely step off stage. So it's, you know, it's you really are in the spotlight. Yeah. Mm. But if that sounds like a good idea to you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, so, um, no, it's great. We love them. And it's a wonderful new uh, aspect of the show kind of growing up, I guess, and expanding Mm. beyond us, which is um, interesting. Mm. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you're enjoying it, don't forget to subscribe or follow on your favourite podcast service. If you want to follow us on social media, you can follow us on Twitter at Queer Musicals or you can follow me at Dr. James Lovelock. One of the other things that interested me about these real people that existed that you've kind of, the stories that you've taken and how... Uh, how different it is because of, the, as we spoke about right at the beginning, the makeup of the writing team and the creative team and how it's a very different kind of take on, for example, from the film of Operation Mincemeat or from reading the book of Operation Mincemeat because you've taken these characters and they've become something completely different. Mm. I'm really interested in how you've kind of, how that's worked for you and how you kind of deal with the fact that these characters actually are people that existed or do you just forget that completely? I don't know. No, no, I think <laughs> I think it's been a... It's the first time that we've adapted something um, like a real story. So the weight of that... I think maybe maybe when we very, very initially started, we weren't really thinking about that. I think we were just... We were just being <laughs> we were like, just how like, do we well, make well, a musical? Yeah, yeah, yeah we oh, weren't really... Christ. I don't think we were thinking about anything, frankly. Yeah, <laughs> we were just like, oh, God, what's a song? Yeah, what's like, a rhyme? Literally. What rhymes with hat? Yeah. I don't know. Um... um but actually, as the show's developed and, and from from a fairly early stage, particularly the, the kind of principal characters that we all play, the more we've done the show, the more we've realised, hang on, these were real people and we have a real like duty of care to them, to their memory, to their mm. family members. I think actually one probably most significant moment that kind of clicked that in was the new diorama run, which is the first run we did um, in 2019. And obviously it was terrifying. We'd not written a musical mm. before. We barely got it written in time. We, you know, we mm. got it written in time for show two, I'd yeah. say. <laughs> we rewrote um, all of that two. Mm. The weekend before the we The weekend before we opened because we <laughs> tried to rehearse that two and, and then we realised we hadn't written it. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm not even kidding. We were like, wait, what? We haven't... Oh. It was a disaster. We've been, oh, <laughs> it Spectacular <was> disaster. <laughs> um, but anyway, and so we were, we'd, I think, basically just been keeping our heads only mm. just above water for so long and then we got into this five-week run and quite early on in the run we got just informed by front of house going oh by the way um we just uh we've received an email just to let you know that um apparently um the montagues are in tonight so you and Mont- for those who don't know you and montague is the um so i play charles chumley mm-hmm. and then natasha natasha hudson plays you and montague and it was between the two of them that they were the kind of the two people that spearheaded the mission mm-hmm. so he was very um influential in the actual story later went on to become a, a judge of the of the land that like he's an influential person mm. um and also is the kind of host of this show mm. in the sense that he is the voice of the establishment yeah. and the entitled people he's a nice mm. guy but he is that is how we paint him yeah 
Um, he's yeah, he's he's charming. He's inventive. He gets stuff done, but he also does that with the privilege of the upper classes and everything that yeah. we all know comes along with that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so it was this terrifying moment before the show of going. Oh, there's like 15 members of his family, in including an, in his son and daughter. His son and daughter. No way. Wow. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Who were, I would say, in their uh, They were 80s? in their 80s by then, yeah. Um, and and this is an eighty-seater venue, just to point. Mm. Like there were the yeah. first two rows, the first two full rows, full rows, full of Montagues, and obviously it was so daunting. <laughs> Tash was Poor absolutely Tash. terrified. Poor Tash, mm. and and just had to sort of go out and deliver, and just go. Well, hope they like it, <laughs> and you know we were all <laughs> holding our breath, mm. going, "Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god," uh, and then really clearly remember that after the show we sort of went through the theatre went out into the foyer and Tash literally came through the door and just heard someone shout father yeah um, no granddad 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 yeah, granddad, yeah. shout granddad and run over and hug and her and run over and gave her a hug oh. and at, they are amazing they they love the show they love the portrayal I think <laughs> I think his his son and daughter were slightly confused at first by the fact that their their uh, uh, their dad was being played by, by a 35 year old woman um but they've been so supportive of the mm. show ever since and they've come along to every iteration they were there for us on press night they've been so wonderful and it it really kind of brought it down to earth that yeah, the, like these I said, the people. duty of care, these are real we can't, people. We can't lie. We can't lie. We can we... fudge bits here and there, but we yeah. can't just go like, and then he went off and, you know, shot the king of Siam. Mm. You're like, no, he did not do that. You cannot <laughs> say he did that. I wrote a song that was brilliant about that, but I got it. Um, and the same for all of them. And I think, mm. um, like, the the Bevans have, have since come, his family have come, and it's amazing talking to them about, yeah. you know, stories that they know about um people that they uh, that their family members when they grew up it's all amazing yeah, we don't know if the chumleys have come but then that's a very chumley energy to yeah, just absolutely. fade into the background <laughs> like so maybe they've been <laughs> and gone and one one actual amazing thing that's happened recently um is that um as a result of the west end show and the community of uh, fans mm. um who call themselves the minfluencers um Excellent. yeah it's very <laughs> funny um they so ha, ha, when you read the books about mm. um, uh, like the Ben McIntyre book of Operation Mince Me yeah. or Montague's own book, The Man Who Never Was, um, you don't really hear much about this character of Hester, mm. um, if, if anything at all. You get the odd passing um, kind of reference to her. What, mm. what The only thing we do know is that she was responsible for writing a fake love letter yes. that was put in the, uh, in the wallet of the, the homeless uh, man mm. whose body they used. Um, as kind of fake proof that he had a life, basically, that he yeah. had a, this girlfriend waiting back home um, uh, as part of the ruse. And all we knew is that everyone else in the office tried to tried to write it and they passed it to... No, no one could get it to sound very good or, or real. Mm. And so they passed it to this woman who worked, who kind of oversaw the female side of the, the female team in, mm. in, the off, in MI5. And she was known colloquially as the spin and was kind of written off as this, like, 30-something, 40-something woman mm. who... Is in the spinster. A spinster, sorry, yeah. yeah. She uh, was probably, what, all of about 42 yeah, in exactly. that <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, and yet she kind of came back and handed back this, like, beautiful pouring out of love on on, mm. on paper with the phrase, why do we meet in the middle of a war? What a silly thing for anyone to do. Which is, we we literally grabbed wholesale and just wow. plonked in the middle of the song. Um, and that's all history tells us mm. that ab- about her. And our fans, insanely, just, I, I don't know how well, so This is after them where. going, you know, 
Oh, you, you did research for the show, didn't you? Yeah. We'd be like, yeah, yeah we did we, our we research. research. I don't know, we Googled probably yeah. three things here and three things there. <laughs> and they, read a off couple their of articles. own back, we're just like, no, that's that's not good enough. Mm. Like, no, then we're going to find her. And then they actually did. Like, they, like... Within a matter of... Within a matter of months, like a month. Weeks, weeks yeah. yeah. They collectively, between them, like, scoured the internet, went to the National Archives, some contacted MI5, people were driving across mm. the country being like, oh, we found proof here, da, da. And it turns out that because of a misspelling of... Le- so we were under the, we were under the, um, the idea that her name was Leggett, but it was mm. actually Leggat. And when they found that, they were then like, oh, wait, no, there was a woman called Hester Leggett mm. who worked at MI5. And uh, over the course of a few weeks, and then officially a letter from MI5 confirming, yes, a woman called Hester Leggett did work here. She was under this thing, and she worked for the very department that did Mince Me. So it's pretty much, you know, wow. cut print proof that it happened. So, like, the show has eventually unearthed w- another member of the team who was mm. ev- who history, white male history, has been like, well, we couldn't find anything on her. So anyway, yeah. we're moving on. And the fans have gone, no, she matters just as much as everyone else. Mm. Um and, and it's been I really beautiful to see that it's happen. It's been amazing. And I think also part of that is that um, Jack, who plays her in the show, you know, he had very little to go on in terms of mm-hmm. building this character when we were first making the show. Um, and like we said, you know, we've kind of, the part has expanded as he's performed it. The two things kind of mm. grow kind of symbiotically, yeah. I guess. Um, and he is, de- de- night after night, is delivering this character that audiences fall in love with. Mm. You know, she's she's formidable, but, you know, she's got this kind of incredibly moving moment at the heart of it. She builds a real true friendship with Jean, one of the mm. other characters. And and they they even sing a song together about, you know, the fact that they're not going to be the people that, you know, get, get the medals yeah. and get remembered from this, you know, because of who they are and their gender and where they sit in the team and the story. Um, and I think part of that is why audience members ma- massively connect to these, mm. to these two women particularly. Um, and... You know, Hester has the heart of a lot of audience members, mm-hmm. and they, mm-hmm. you know, it feels really lovely now that they slash we can fill in that part of her story and and connect this portrayal of her, which has garnered a lot of love and affection, to the real person who actually inspired mm-hmm. it. It's just really gorgeous now that those two things will will be connected. I'm hope, and we've found the family, and they've come and seen the show. <sighs> mm-hmm. Wow, it's really it's, it's completely mad. It's completely mm-hmm. mad. Um, Yes, that's really great, and so and so so that level again is we we've never been very flippant about um, the fact that they are real characters, yeah. and in fact the show ends. And this is probably the hardest bit, the the hardest bit as writers that we were able to kind of tackle. We finally managed to work out how to do it, but ultimately the show ends with a tribute to the the homeless man, yes, whose body they used and whose identity they kind of refused to. Well, I mean, official the the official version of events when they finally released it. Um, which they only did because an, an, a journalist got wind of the real event, so they, mm. the government got ahead of it. Um, so Monty's official version of events, they pretended that they'd found that they'd asked uh, a mother and father of a soldier who died, and that mm. they were like, "Would you mind, you know, giving his body over for further service?" That's completely untrue. They found mm. the body of a homeless man, nicked it, didn't tell anyone, didn't ask his family, um, and so the show ends with a tribute to him, and it, yeah. and as a result of. You know, eventually his name's been put on a gravestone in Huelva as in, as remembrance, but the mm. show itself kind of does the service of remembering him. This kind of yeah. bod- this person that's kind of haunts haunts the production silently, and then we remind you, being like, you also forgot that he was real as well, didn't mm. you? Because so did the everyone else. Because they were louder, funnier, 
exactly. people on stage taking up space. Exactly. And, and that's yeah. what happens yeah. in life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so then we hand it over to him. And I think that hopefully the show does that for ev- for every character. They get their moment in the sun and they get a moment to mm. to show that everyone matters and that all these people are real. And yes, they are cartoonized versions of these people you know mm. um i find it really funny as well some of the characters because having seen this right from the very beginning like i think there was a time when you had did you have bentley purchase in it at one stage and yeah. Oh, yeah. the yeah. racing driver was yeah uh, no he we, never, he never it. made it he was in the ah. script we we wrote some stuff but then he, he it all ended a little bit um toad of toad hall we were just like oh no we don't like this um but no yeah we used to have bentley purchase in there we used to have jasper maskeline who's the war magician um we used to have uh, well, I was gonna say Spilsbury, but Sp- Spilsbury, we amalgamated the Bentley purchase and Spilsbury yeah. into two, into one person. Mm. Yeah, it took us it took us a five week run t- and a rewrite to realize that you can't really have two corpse experts, <laughs> yeah. one after mm. the other, in a musical about a corpse. <laughs> yeah, because funnily enough, people are like, "Oh, this again." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> How yeah. do we distinguish between these two? But so we, yes, mm. we've amalgamated the guy who um, loved kind of making practical jokes about mm. corpses. He was a, you know, he worked in the morgue. I can't think of uh, it. He, he, he was a coroner, morgue. I think. He was, he was a um, coroner. Bentley Purchase. And mm. yeah, and he would sort of, he found death hilarious, mm. which obviously we also found hilarious. <laughs> and then there was Bernard Spilsbury, who was a pathologist, mm. famous pathologist, um, who was doing a lot of kind of, responsible for a lot of the inve- invention of kind of um, crime scene mm. investigation and and pathology and that kind of stuff. Um, and later, later, quite widely debunked. Yeah. Um, mm also funny um <laughs> and so we were like you know we can't th- mm. these just need to be the same person we're going to yeah. take the best bits of both of them and, and smash them together mm. into one sequin covered maniac i think that but that, i think that is uh what's interesting about talking about this is that we've been very lucky uh, in that we've been able to do an iterative process of creation mm. in front mm. of an audience and really you know it's a blessing and a curse to be standing <laughs> in your own work mm. and to be like well this scene's shit. <laughs> and you're like, that definitely doesn't work. Um, and But you know, immediately, mm. you can have like, if it doesn't work after three nights, it's mm. just, it's it's not the audience, it's us. I think I remember you doing that with the beginning of the show. I think oh, one God, of the Southern yeah. Playhouse. My runs. goodness, we've had so many beginnings. So <laughs> many. It turns out you can't really write the beginning of a show until you've written all of the rest of the yeah, show. Which is really and annoying. then you'll probably realise that you've written the opening, but it's just in the wrong place. Yeah, which is um, what we did. Yeah, yeah, we're Born to Lead, mm. which is our current big opener, is now an amalgamation of Born to Leave, which previously was a duet that came probably four or five songs yeah. in, yeah. Um, that was a duet between our main characters. And then we went, well, this is stating everything that we kind of are mm. saying with the show. And a song called Need to Know, which was Bevan's song, which was delivering the entirety of World War II <laughs> history and why everything mattered in the States. And again, that was really late in. That came after mm. Born to Lead originally. And we were like, God, we can't wait five songs to explain mm. to people why this is important and why we should care. Yeah. And so mm. you kind of go... Oh, we need to introduce those characters, all three of those important characters. We need to give the context and the backstory and the yeah. stakes. And we also need to mm. explain what the show's about and, and the general kind of striking themes of the show. Oh, they all have to be in the... Oh, crap, we're going to have to redo <laughs> it. Yeah. Um, mm. Yeah, and so we 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 had bits of that. We had kind of leanings on that in a, in a couple mm. of iterations, but they absolutely went in the bin. Um, they great songs everyone but yeah oh, really fun yeah. Oh, oh I remember God. the one that you did where, which, was, which was about all of the special boys special boys special yeah boys. with the yeah. different crests yes. about yeah. Eaton Eaton and Harrow boys which was really fun <laughs> but, uh, but we get that you know we do that in yeah in we don't have time yeah. for a whole no. song about yeah. that turns out um, and yeah and it was mm. it was probably the hardest thing was writing writing the opening and writing the end of act one mm. have been probably the hardest yeah. 
bits of the show. Um, just in terms of like technical understanding of what yeah. they need to be and what they need. They're, they're some of the hardest working pieces in the song. And mm. we did a lot of, you know, going back to the drawing board, listening to the openings of musicals and going, yeah, well, yeah. how the hell do mm. people do this? It's yeah. one of the main things that we've gone, well, we... We, we can't just this isn't just about writing a song this yeah. has to be it's, it's, it's you've got to set up the whole world and usually ideally your main bunch of characters and the kind of overall objective mm. in one song <laughs> when you've only just met them it mm. is yeah it is a really really hard task and we even mm. had although we didn't we didn't massively edit the number for this run we changed who was singing what because we still mm. hadn't quite gotten right yeah. gotten that right by last summer um, it took us a while to land on the fact that actually Monty needs to open it mm. on his own because yeah. he's telling the story. He's the host of mm. this show, yeah. and then actually, then we need to meet Chumley as a as a the person who is separate to that. You need to meet separately, but you need to meet yeah, you need to meet him. But you have to meet all the other boys so then he can stand out as the wrong boy and be like, oh, he's the odd one out. Mm. And well, then, you, a, and, that, then, and, then and then Bevan can arrive and deliver so context. Like, you've met and the people in his context. Mm. But yeah, getting that right, it's it's a, it's an they're, they're jigsaws, you know. They are. Mm. It is like structure is the is the main job of playwriting or and musical mm. making, and it's even more so for musicals. It's so hard. It's all just like, well, that goes there, and as soon as you as soon as you like clunk, like clunk that bits in place, mm. you're like, oh, but that 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 cog do, doesn't fit with this bit, and you're you're constantly. If we ever write another forth. one, I'm just going to put special boy at the beginning of it again, and just be like, that's a placeholder. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> We'll open with this. We About won't, a girl's school. We will. Yeah. <laughs> I think sometimes you have to do that, though, don't you? You have to put something there because yeah. if there's nothing there, then that's all you worry about. Yeah. For the yeah. We always say, like, like mm. the because obviously as writers, you can kind of agonize over every mm. word and it's just so time consuming. And we're always like, something is better than nothing. Yeah. Constantly mm. we're like, oh, I've written a draft of this. It's crap, but yeah. it's there. Not it's this, like, but. Not this, but. <laughs> it, the very fact of it existing mm. means that it, we're over the biggest hurdle. Like, mm. something is down on paper. We can put something in the bin. We can't put nothing in the bin. So yeah, 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 yeah. Let's, let's hurry up and put, get something so we can put it in the bin. It's been a real joy to kind of follow the process right from the very beginning and, and all the way through all of the different iterations. And I think one of the things that's come up today that I really love about it is that it's about giving the voices to uh, people who maybe wouldn't usually be at the forefront of the storytelling or telling the story in a way that uh, that represents those people, which is, I think, for me what queer representation is about, but also all sorts of other representation as well. So thank you so much. And I hope that it continues for a very long time. <laughs> so do we. Yes, End, because it's such a joy. And so, yeah, thank you very much for joining us. And we'll see you all next time. On Monday the 16th of October, QueerMusicals.com is putting on its very first concert at the Other Palace Theatre in London cast of West End performers will be performing new songs from musical theatre for LGBTQ characters. We hope to see you there. More information in the bio.